0: From the tragic wildfires on Maui in August to the unprecedented storms on the West Coast just two weeks later to the massive flooding in Slovenia, the need for crisis leaders to reach and mobilize the public has never been greater. Disasters seem to move faster than ever and the expectations of the public are ever higher. Social media is one of the channels of choice. However, the evolving landscape of social media is vexing preparedness and response leaders everywhere. How do you reach people where they are when there are so many different places where they are. New platforms seem to crop up daily, leading to increasingly fragmented audiences. Now, we're not gonna tackle the blow by blow of the platform wars or the ups and downs too, too frequent to handle this podcast. But we are gonna explore are some enduring principles of community engagement that transcend specific platforms and can be customized for whichever channels you choose. My guest today is Joseph Porcelli. He's an NPLI alumnus, one of our global ambassadors, and the global public agency life safety and disaster response lead for Nextdoor. Prior to Nextdoor, Joseph had several community engagement roles, including with the Department of Homeland Security, where he was their first community engagement strategist. He also built community.fema.gov. He helped manage that platform. He's worked with public agencies across many communities where Nextdoor is active, and is gonna share some of, his, some of his insights with us. Joseph, welcome to Leader ReadyCast.
1: Thanks for having me, Eric, I'm honored.
0: Really great to have you here. I've always enjoyed our conversations. I learned so much because you're so in in touch with this world, and at a really deep and interesting level. Let's start with the basics. What are two or three fundamentals of community engagement that leaders need to embed in their plans and their playbooks?
1: Sure. So the first thing for me is that I believe the community is the leader, meaning they have the answers. They just may not have discovered it yet, or expressed that, or made it happen. So When I think of community engagement, I think of myself as the facilitator and my job is to help them express their leadership, their vision, or whatever it is they're trying to get in touch with or trying to make happen, excuse me. The second thing is when I'm facilitating, I think and communicate like a community builder. What that means is I'm respecting and acknowledging the leadership that the community has. And by doing that, I'm understanding and taking into account their interests, needs, desires, the problems they're trying to solve. Because I know that may not exactly be what I'm trying to do. I may have an agenda. They also have their agendas. What we're looking to do is find the common areas where we can make progress together. The second part of this is really about sort of two strategies. One is respecting people's intellects and the other is caring out loud. By respecting people's intellects, that means taking the time to explain why things matter, how it will benefit people, what they might expect to run into. And caring out loud is demonstrating that you are listening, that you are closing the loop, that you are there to help them be successful. Oftentimes I'll hear, let's push this out. I cringe when I hear that phrase because what people want is to have conversations with you. They don't want you to content at them.
0: That's a great way of putting that. And i like you know, to summarize all of that. I mean, like so many things, it's better to do things with people rather than to them. That's right. Uh, treating them as equals in the process. And I think that's so important in all of communication. So my next question is, you know, given the number, the scope and the scale of incidents globally, and there's just so many, it feels like we're in a, we are in permanent response mode that preparedness or readiness, to use the latest buzzword, seems to ha- need to get its groove back, right? In general terms, where do you think agencies go wrong? And can you give us a case of where you think an agency got it right in terms of increasing preparedness through engagement?
1: Sure. And I'd like to just start off by sharing a couple stats about the landscape right now. So between 2017 and 2020, 2022, excuse me, there were just 18 days on average between billion dollar disasters. I don't think a lot of people realize that. Um, One in three adults report being personally affected um, by an extreme weather event in the past two years. Only about 4% of homeowners nationwide have flood insurance, although 90% of catastrophes in the U.S. US involve flooding. And 1.6% of the U.S. population was displaced because of a natural disaster. And this is, uh, I think that was for 2022. And so we're dealing with an environment where preparedness is no longer optional. We are seeing events happening all of the time. And there's also other challenges. Uh, According to uh, PPD 8, Presidential Proclamation 8, a research study was done, and I think this was in 2013, a third of the people will prepare, a third of the people might prepare, and a third of the people won't prepare. And we're seeing that even if you look at like the FEMA National Household Survey, I'm just looking at preparedness actions. This is the 2022 uh, survey. All actions are going down. So we've got increased threat. We've got people that might, might not, or won't prepare. Preparedness is declining. And preparedness is also a luxury. what I mean by that is it costs money to prepare. There are folks who have multiple jobs who have lots of financial demands, and they're making decisions on whether they not whether or not they're going to pay their utility bill. So these are all things that you know we have to keep in mind when we're talking about preparedness and community engagement. So with that said, a couple of mistakes that I see organizations making is that they're putting too much on their PIO or their comms office. They're demanding way too much when they have multiple responsibilities. So for example, they've got to handle the media, they've got to do all the social media, they have to create the graphics, they have to edit the video, and that's a whole lot. And I think we're getting past the point where like, oh, let's delegate that to the intern. Hopefully people have learned that does not work, but we must appropriately fund column shops and we must appropriately ensure they have resources to do their job successfully. The other thing is, Preparedness messaging is hard to write. The What most people do is send people to ready.gov. Hey, the storm is coming. Go look at ready.gov. But if you look at the average click-through rates on communications, it's less than, it's like single digits, I believe, the last time I looked. And so when you've got people's attentions on no, whatever platform or way you're communicating, you need to explain, you need to succinctly list out the things people need to do and you need to explain why they matter because you have to connect the dots for people. Um, A great example of an agency doing a great job is the Florida Division of Emergency Management. Uh, They started using Nextdoor for public agencies, which is our free government platform uh, earlier this year. And every week there are multiple preparedness messages and they are the cadence of which they are communicating and engaging people is inspiring. I love it. There are so many hazards people are facing in Florida, especially as we enter hurricane season. You know, last time I looked at uh, the National Hurricane Center, like there are multiple storms out in the in the um, Atlantic Ocean, also in the Pacific right now. So there's there are lots of threats, and there's there's a couple schools of thoughts with messaging, right? People want to. So what I really like about Florida Emergency Management is their cadence of messaging is great. There are multiple preparedness messages going out every week, and the engagement on those messages is excellent. People understand that they do need to prepare, and they are taking that action. They're having those conversations with each other because it is a regular conversation. It's not just during National Preparedness Month, and by that time, it's often too late. There's also a conversation out of how much information can people digest at once, And often there are so many preparedness, uh, protective actions that people need to take. And so that regular cadence allows you to spread it out and make it seasonally relevant. And I think it's just a great way to do it. Again, Florida Emergency Management, Division of Emergency Management is doing a great job doing just that.
0: You know, I think that it, that notion you mentioned of having a cadence and always being out there is so important because you're right. When you give people the the checklist, a long checklist, of have had the communications plan and the evacuation plan and 72 hours worth of food and water, it can be overwhelming. It is. And give people little chunks of things of this week you can do this or, hey, it's October, you're getting your flu shot. Great time to talk to your doctor about how to make sure you've got enough meds in your house. If you have to evacuate, you've got enough to take with you. Or That's right. different things one at a time when you chunk it up and it becomes a way of having people think on a more regular basis rather than seeing this big thing of, oh, I'll get to it, but then you never do get to it because it just, it's just so large.
1: That's such an important point. And, you know, preparedness is not a one-time thing, right? You don't go out there and buy a bag and fill it and leave it because what's going to happen is you're going to go into that bag, you're going to take it, take something out or it's going to rot, right? And so incremental preparedness is really important and i think agencies need to explain what that looks like with pictures and videos so for example mary jo Flynn, who is the i believe she's now the commissioner of sacramento emergency management years ago she had this great we had this great conversation and she was saying that preparedness is buying one extra can of soup a week right because we mentioned earlier preparedness is a luxury not everybody can go out and buy a 300 dollar bag of you know preparedness supplies and so that one extra can of soup creates muscle memory around doing that same thing for other things that you need. And you put it, you don't put it in that box, you put it in the back of your pantry. And so, you know, it's, what's it, first in, first out, whatever the accounting term is, I know I'm messing that up, but you know, that the the oldest can of soup is up front and the newest one is in back and you rotate it. And that yeah. really makes a lot of sense. We need to like demonstrate that, right? Because when we tell people to prepare, we also have to tell them how to prepare. And you we also have to remember that people learn in different ways. There are visual learners. People learn that, learn by reading, by doing. Involving those specific steps, especially with visuals and explaining why things matter helps people say, ah, yes, that's right. I can do that. I can afford to buy one more can of soup. Hopefully they can, right? And incorporating that into their routines helps people prepare. So another example of this is, you know, checking your insurance deductibles. Um, We've done a poll on Nextdoor and we learned that about, actually this was in Maryland, 18% of people did not know that their homeowner's insurance did not cover flooding, right? So doing, putting a reminder on your Google calendar or whatever calendar you use to check your insurance deductible once, your insurance declarations once a year can be really helpful. So it's those very tactical how-to things that I think can help move the needle on preparedness.
0: I think that's great. And again, getting people into their regular rhythm of doing this, because the other thing I worry about is we've all become so dependent upon those quick deliveries uh, from whatever your favorite retailer is, but things now come same day or they come overnight, which makes it feel like you can always get whatever you need on short notice. But in a, in a disaster situation, that's not going to be true. So you've got to have enough, hopefully have built up enough stock over time that you can at least have some supplies in reserve. That's right. Now, I also want to talk about communications here because the communications landscape seems to fan- change a lot faster than the communication protocols, right? We still have some senior people asking what our MySpace strategy is. <laughs> and, you know, what's X, whatever. It, it just, it, it's constantly changing. So how do you advise someone to keep up with what matters what's superfluous and what should the core principles be of an engagement strategy that sort of transcend all of that?
1: Well first of all, it's not a race there are new platforms popping up all over the place um but I, I you know most organizations are going to have a shop right and you got to trust and support your team. Uh, I think it's important that, not only are they strategic communicators, but they should, you should think and treat them as strategic advisors. So if there's a question about some new platform that popped up, it's okay to ask. But when you ask that question, you have to keep a couple things in mind. You gotta be clear about what are the goals? Why are we communicating, right? And then what, aug- what audience segment will we reach on this whatever new platform it is? Are we reaching them somewhere else? Do they wanna hear from us? And if they do, What type of information might resonate with them? So to to summarize that is you have to meet the segments of your audiences on the platforms they use and tailor the messages to to the culture and the format of those platforms. In other words, don't wear a suit to a beach party. And so trusting your team, experimenting and learning quickly, if you do want to try it out, you can certainly do that. Um, But make sure you understand and are clear about what are your goals, who are you trying to reach, and why does it matter towards your mission?
0: Now, one of the things I know is always a challenge is measurement, and in the conversations we've had previously, you've been able to share examples of how you measure the effectiveness of campaigns and what actually a campaign looks like on a social platform like Nextdoor. So, because leading up often requires bringing the proof, right? Bringing the data right. that shows this did something. So, how do you how do you handle that, that question of measurement?
1: So, first of all. A lot of organizations measure things like impressions or clicks, but at the end of the day, how does that tie to your the outcomes that you care about? Uh, so I think it's being really clear about that and being smart in how you set up your campaign so that you can measure it. Um, for every platform using things like UTM codes to track, like where did the traffic come from? How many people went to the website we wanted them to go to and how many people completed that journey is really important. That should be baked into what you do. Now on Nextdoor via our free platform Nextdoor for government agencies, one of the experiments we've done and we've repeated many times actually since we did some initial work together a few years ago is that we will do a poll and simply ask a question as a result of our communications, which of the following steps Um, might you have taken, right? Or how many of the following steps might you have taken? And so what you're getting there are indicators of actions taken or behavioral changes. And it's important to do that at a regular cadence. Um, Doing so gives you real-time feedback that's qualitative and not quantitative. And I think that's really helpful. The other thing that advise people or that I advise folks to do is to ask the community to give them some choices of what types of things they want to learn about. By doing that, you're involving your community in the decision-making process, which helps build trust. Um, But I think it also demonstrates that you respect and appreciate their needs and interest and so by doing that you're, you'll see greater engagement and they'll want to help you down the road assess how well it worked and it kind of becomes you know like a community effort if you will so uh, to recap using UTM codes or whatever tool you want to use to track which platform drove the most engagement or downloads or program signups, whatever you want to do, or wherever that's happening is important. And on Nextdoor, you can simply use polls to ask people what actions they've taken as a result of communications. You can also use polls to get a baseline before you do something, which we did a couple of years ago together.
0: And so I just want to clarify here as well. Tell everyone what a UTM code is.
1: Sure. So it's just, a um, if you look at a URL, say we're sending people to ready.gov and a UTM code, uh, it's just says UTM and it's got a couple special characters, uh, most of the time, depending on how complex you want to do it. And you just put the campaign or the source. So next door, or, you know, fall or national preparedness month, 23. And so it just helps you track, um, what you where you suggested someone or invited someone to take an action and where they went, so you can see ready.gov, for example, could see how many people next door, how many people were driven to their website by next door, or if you're trying to get people to register for a preparedness webinar or training, how many people came from the different platforms where you promoted it, and you can see attribute that traffic or that sign up or registration to that platform.
0: That's great, thank you. I want to shift gears here just a bit and think back to your experience with the NPLI. What did you take from that experience that you're now using in the field?
1: Sure. (laughs) Um, A lot. (laughs) I I think the thing that helped me most was I now have language and frameworks to articulate how I operate or how we can operate as a team. But it also helps guide my thinking because now I have um, you know, something to think about. So for example, you know, the walk in the woods, um, I have a series of questions I can ask myself and the people I'm going for a walk with uh, to add some standardization to how I operate. so you're not always making things up. I guess the short of it is I make less things up now and I have more tools and frameworks that my team and I can use um, to lead more effectively together.
0: That's great. We're always happy to hear when our alumni are using the tools, using the concepts in in, in their day to day practice. That's the that's the intention. And I'm glad things like the walk in the woods are working for you. Thank you. Today, I have my one final question, which I have my my final question for every guest. What gives you hope?
1: My neighbors. I live in a great community where people really care about each other and help each other out every chance they get. Uh, and that's a culture that my neighbor has created long before I got here. But I feel really grateful for that. I also see that reflected all over uh in the disasters I respond to people are always helping each other out you know as we know and as we've seen neighbors are often each other's first first responders and when people help each other out or are in service to each other what we see is the things that divide them you know don't matter in that moment they're expressing care and help towards each other and often through that they learn that they have more things in common that they than they don't
0: Community is the heart of everything we do that that works well. I think you know I' read recently a definition of community that it is a group of people who care about each other more than they should. And that's a <laughs> great place to live.
1: It is. The question then becomes who defines should? And I think what I what we're seeing is neighbors are defining that because we need to these days, right? There's a lot we face, and together we are stronger.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Joseph. My guest for this episode has been Joseph Porcelli. He's an NPLI alum, one of our global ambassadors, and the global public agency life safety and disaster response lead for Nextdoor. Until next time, remember that you're it. Be ready to lead when it matters most. This has been another episode of Leader Readycast from the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative. Subscribe to Leader Readycast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And find out more about us at npli.sph.harvard.edu. Follow us on Twitter at HarvardNPLI. Thanks for listening and be ready to lead.